Welcome, gather round the fireside and listen to a tale. Up yon Makul Kukulin, Deirdre of the Sorrows, grow on your wail. From giants right down to fairies, about the trooping and solitary, and close to us sometimes scary. Anything goes by the fireside. Yeah. Fireside, the Puka Fireside, the Merrow Fireside. Kings and queens fighting heroes, don't you run from the fun, there's no need to hide. Sit by the fireside. Mm. Fireside. Hello, and welcome to Fireside, the Irish storytelling podcast. Each episode of Fireside, we take a story from folklore and mythology, retell it, have a chat about the tale itself and about the craft, culture and history of storytelling. My name is Kevin C. Olihan. I am your host and your Fireside bard. Welcome to episode 94 of Fireside. Today on the Irish Storytelling Podcast, we are completing the story of Brian Baru, the High King of Ireland, with the epic Battle of Clontarf. But first, I want to give a huge welcome to any new and indeed any returning listeners. Thank you so much for your support of the podcast. I really hope you do enjoy it. This is, I should say, the third part of uh, our look at Brian Baru. It should be clear from the listings as you're looking at your podcast app. So if you haven't listened to to part one or two, even though this is the juicy and the famous part, listen to at least part one and two before you want to delve in here. But if you're a returning listener, please, or if you, and if you're a brand new listener and you listen to part one and two and like that, why not go right back to the beginning and listen to our journey through Irish folklore and myth that we've been embarking on over the past two years. Please do follow me over on Instagram at Fireside Bard to get in touch if you want to say hello. If you're not on social media, you can do so at the Fireside Bard at gmail.com. But please do support the Instagram account if you can. It really does help to beef up and to keep a track of the listeners of the podcast and to get in touch with everyone. It's the best place to get in touch with me and for me to reach back out to all of you. And if you are in a position to, you can support the Patreon over at patreon.com forward slash fireside podcast, where you can join our growing list of kind benefactors, particularly at this incredibly difficult time. It seemed like we were getting out of things now, but we really are not out of the woods at all. Um, All of Ireland has just gone back down, back into what we're calling level three of restrictions and which people aren't allowed to leave their counties unless it is for work or essential travel. So I am not back in my hole yet. I was recording the podcast from home in isolation for a number of months but I'm still back in the Headstuff Podcast Network studios. I've been still able to come up to Dublin for work to record the podcast because I think it's important to keep the quality up while I can. I mean, it's good to know that I have the equipment and the facilities at home if I do need to, if we do go back down into full lockdown. The podcast does not need to stop. We can keep joining each other by the fireside. But it is while I can, a fantastic to be back in the Headstuff Podcast Network studios. 
So the story this week, this is one of those episodes you are building up to from when you start a podcast like this, even though this was a different kind of direction to go. It's always in the back of my mind, more in life than in necessary in the podcast, to find out more about Brian Baru. He is one of those impossibly famous figures in Irish lore and in Irish history, so famous to the point that people are embarrassed to admit that they know nothing about him. It's just a name we see a lot of places. And we're very familiar with this this Battle of Clontarf in Ireland without really knowing a huge amount more about it. So it was very exciting to start exploring Brian Brew. And the initial plan was to just do the Battle of Clontarf. But as we will see, the, the Battle of Clontarf is really where Brian Brew's story ends rather than where it begins. So it was really nice to explore this new invasion cycle that we've been doing over the past number of months beginning with the arrival of the Norse, the Norse men in Ireland leading up to the Battle of Clontarf during which Norse rule in Ireland was very definitely over. This has become its own little cycle and this own little saga which has been very fun to do and very exciting and has been different territory because we're approaching, we're not approaching, we're in history now. We're just in very, very, not altered, but very mysterious history in which I mean that there's very little resources for it and a huge amount of it is still folklore and hearsay and that's the benefit and the fun part of me being a storyteller and not a historian is I can lean into those I can lean into those rumours and those possibilities and those legends I don't need the document I won't ever steer you intentionally astray dear listener but we're here to to unearth the best story possible where we can. So I'm going to get right down to it. We will chat more of after the story, but this is Brian Baru and the Battle of Clontarf on Fireside. Brian Baru, the Battle of Clontarf. Brian McKennetig was the undisputed High King of Ireland. Because he had risen to power around the year 1000, he was known as the 1000-Year King. His determination to walk in the steps of Charlemagne and make Ireland a part of the Holy Roman Empire led him to be known as the Emperor of the Irish. But of course, it is the heavy taxation of cattle that Brian imposed on his subjects, which gave him his most famous moniker, Brian of the Cattle Tributes, or Brian Baru. Although his power was absolute, and Brian had turned the previously largely symbolic role of High King of Ireland into a very active throne, not everyone was happy to bow to this monster king. Brian had, after all, won his crown not by birth, but by the sword. And supposedly the one who instigated the plot to remove Brian from power was none other than his own wife. His third wife, to be clear. Gormfla was sister to Male Morda, the King of Leinster. She was also mother to Citrig Silkbeard, the Viking King of Dublin, Male Morda and Citric Silkbeard had fought Brian and lost. The High King allowed them to keep their figurehead power, 
but there was no illusion. It was Brian who was in charge. To keep them subjugated, Brian imposed heavy and increasing taxation on Leinster and Dublin in particular. He married his daughter to Citric Silkbeard and took Gormfla as his third wife. There are political marriages, but this was something more. Gormfla was a political prisoner. But the Queen would never lose her resistance to the High King and would stir up rebellion in others. Gormfla's brother, Male Morda, had come to Brian's keep in Kilcora to personally pay the king his tribute. Male Morda wore a silken tunic, bordered with gold and adorned with silver buttons. The outfit had been given to him by Brian as a gift of lordship. Gormfla despised her brother's servitude to Brian and thought this outfit was the ultimate insult. A silver button fell from Melmorda's tunic, and the Leinster king went to his sister and asked her to help him sew it back on. Gormfla scowled at her brother and said, No king of Leinster should ever have to bow to a petty monster king. Melmorda was rattled to his core. The seed of war had already been planted. The heavier Brian Baru's taxations, the more Mailmorda and Citric Silkbeard grew ready for war. Citric was a Christian king, having built Christchurch Cathedral out of wood, mind you, and it could be said that he was more Irish than Norse. After all, his mother was Irish, and his father was Hiberno-Norse. Yet Citric always considered himself to be a Viking at heart and it would be Norse kings that would aid him in battle. First, Citric went to the Orkney Islands off the coast of Scotland. The Norse king there was Sigurd the Stout. Citric Silkbeard offered Sigurd the Stout the hand in marriage of his mother Gormfla if Sigurd would help Citric defeat Brian Baru in battle. Sigurd the Stout pledged the support of the Orkneys. But Sigurd the Stout was not the only man Citrig offered his mother's hand in marriage to. Next, the Norse king went to the Isle of Man and offered Gormfla to both Ospek and his brother Brodir. Gormfla must indeed, even in later age, have been an attractive marriage proposal because they all agreed. Citric was not just biting off more than he could chew. He knew the likelihood of these Norse lords dying in the upcoming battle. Essentially, his mother's hand would go to the survivor. By the year 1013, Citrig Silkbeard had his army. It was time to take on Brian Baru. The High King of Ireland was in his seventies when the threat of war came to his doorstep once more. The Norsemen were on Ireland's shores, and Brian tried to delay them for as long as possible while he hastily prepared his own army. An ally came in the seemingly unlikeliest of places. Brian's former enemy and deposed High King, Male Shocknell Macrooney. Male Shocknell had permanently uprooted true Norse power in Ireland when he had defeated them at the Battle of Tara. He had also previously allied with Brian to defeat Male Morda and Citric Silkbeard in the first place. Brian had been his enemy 
that Brian was an Irishman. Male Shocknell feared if the Norse defeated Brian, they would take power in Ireland again. So Male Shocknell pledged his allegiance to the High King. 20,000 troops of United Norse, Dublin and Leinster men met a hastily gathered 20,000 strong force of Brian Baru. The date was April 23rd, 1014. A Friday. Not only that, but it was Good Friday. Brian had solidified his power as a Christian king and was extremely hesitant to fight on this religious holiday, but he was given no choice. His world had descended into chaos. They would have to fight. The battlefield was just on the north side of the north city of Dublin, at Clontarf. Even in his late age, Brian rode his horse up and down the front line. He called to his troops, Did Christ not die for you on this day? Brian hoped the largely Christian Irish fighting the largely pagan Norse would make his army believe their God was on their side. Brian wanted to lead his troops himself, but was convinced he was too old and that his death would be too painful a blow. So the king decided to watch the battle and pray from the safety of his own tent. The Battle of Clontarf is said to have been one of the bloodiest onslaughts fought on this island. Male Shocknell himself had been on the battlefield and described it as a field of death. The Irish were on home turf, but the Norse were still the far greater in battle. Ferocious with their armour and battle axes, they cleaved through the Irish lines. One of Brian's sons and grandsons was killed in that first wave. The High King himself was in his tent praying for the tide to turn when he was visited by a creature of his country's previous beliefs. Brian Baru was visited by the Banshee. She came into his tent and told the old king that this would be his last battle. That did not, however, mean that he would lose. Astonishingly, the tide did indeed begin to turn for the forces of the High King, and the Norse invaders were routed. But while they were fleeing, Brodir of the Isle of Man and his troops passed the tent of Brian Baru. One of Brodir's men called to his leader and said, It's the king. Brodir looked in at the old man at prayer and said, No, that is a monk. I did not come here to kill a monk. Broder's man was convinced. Look at that golden sword. That is Brian Baru. By the time Broder realized the truth, Brian had been alerted to the intrusion. He stood and raised his sword to defend himself, but it was no use. Broder cut his way through Brian's guards and with one swing of his battle axe, cleft the head of the High King of Ireland in two. Brian Baru was the victor of the Battle of Clontarf, but he did not survive to reconsolidate his power. After the king's death, his son Donca took power, but he was never able to be the leader that his father was. Citric Silkbeard had been holed up in Dublin for the battle, and even in defeat, knew Donca was too weak to defeat him. Next, 
Cian of the Oanacht declared open rebellion and tribute against Dunca. Even one of his own brothers, Tyg, declared war on Brian Baru's heir. Eventually, the throne of the High King would revert back to the one Brian had taken it from, male Shocknell McRooney. The legacy of Brian Baru is of a man from a family not destined to hold power over a province, who through cunning, strategy and the sword grew to be the first true ruler of Ireland. As the father of the O'Brien dynasty, his legend grew to the status of myth. It is oversimplifying to say that Brian Baru defeated the Vikings at the Battle of Clontarf when it was really male Shocknell MacRooney who had destabilised them at the Battle of Tara. Plus, the Battle of Clontarf was instigated by Leinster men and a Hiberno-Norse king. But through the myth and the legend was a real man, one who seized everything. The Emperor of the Irish, the Thousand-Year King, Brian Baru. To be continued. Folks, as you all know, Fireside is a proud son of the Headstuff Podcast Network, which is Ireland's largest network of independent podcasts and a loving home for the creative and indeed the curious. There are so many other podcasts I could recommend to you on the network, some of which inspired me to approach Headstuff myself. Here's a taste of one you might enjoy. Okay, it's Jibs here from Pints of Malt. So our podcast is basically group of Irish Nigerian lads who tell their stories growing up in Ireland as well as Nigeria and we share our experiences with all of y'all. We also had a bit of comedy as well, you know, to get y'all laughing, get y'all through the week in these tough times that we are in. So y'all sit back and just, you know, enjoy the show. As Jib said, we're the Prince of Mott Podcast. You can find us on all streaming platforms, including the Headstuff Network. And that is the story of Brian Baru and the Battle of Clontarf on Fireside. And I hope you enjoyed it. Yes, indeed. Oh, beg your pardon, pull this mic right into me. A third and final part. Going in, going into talking about Brian Baru, my one thing was to dispel this myth that Brian Baru defeated the Vikings at the Battle of Clontarf, which is a myth I fully believe myself, and it is thought that was only instigated by Brian's descendants to build up the O'Brien name. And even when you go into Dublinia, the Museum of the Norse Rule in Ireland, and indeed of the Middle Ages after it, it does quite oversimplify that fact, and in fact doesn't mention the Battle of Tara at all which uh, is the much lesser known but much more significant battle in actually destabilizing Viking rule. And the reason, of course, that it wasn't Brian Baru who defeated the Vikings at Battle of Clontarf is because he wasn't fighting just the Vikings. Yes, there was a huge amount of Vikings there, or Norse Norsemen there, you know, they were so well established in their respective lands, in the Orkneys, in the Isle of Wight, and in Ireland. But it was a king of Leinster, a very much Irish king of Leinster, Melmorda, and his son, Citric Silkbeard, who called himself a Norse king, 
but his mother was Irish. His father would have been Hiberno-Norse, meaning that he wouldn't have been from uh, any of the Viking homelands himself, yet just identified it very much so as it. It's a much simpler and more child-friendly line, of course, to to tell that Brian Baru defeated the Vikings, but it's so much more complex than that, and I don't think its complexity at all takes away from its storytelling. I think it enhances it, in fact, and particularly because it was quite difficult to find out information on the Battle of Tara and on Brian's childhood and his rise to High King. But there's loads of little tidbits here and there, particularly in that great book of our hour-long history reads that I spoke about a couple of weeks ago and last week that I read on just uh, the life of Brian Baru. And it had great great tidbits in it about how the Battle of Clontarf came about. My favourite of which, of course, is that Gormfla, Brian's wife, third wife, and mother of Citric Silkbeard and sister of Mel Mortha, incredible feudal family politics right there for you. He, she was supposedly the one who instigated it all. And again, there is no possible way of proving that story of Melmore that coming in dressed in his finery that Brian had given him and a button fallen off. It almost certainly cannot have have happened as beautifully as it, as it was described in, in the book and hopefully in the story that I just told. But historical evidences do include it because why they can't prove it it's they like they say it's worth knowing and it is worth considering it's worth and it does tell us a lot because whether that incident happened she was his wife she was definitely his wife and they were definitely all related to each other and what happened happened as in Melmorda and Citrix Hilkbeard were subjugated by Brian rose up again against him and were defeated again. And Brian's, all this time, Brian's wife is Gormfla. And I actually don't know what happened to her afterwards. But it, she was a great find in this story. And she's again a character, like so many great female characters in history, was hard to find. I just happened to come across her in the history of the Vikings. A great courses, audiobook that I've spoken about numerous times so far. She's mentioned a few times in that from the perspective of the Norse in Ireland. But in the history of Ireland in 240 episodes, the BBC Ireland, Dr. Jonathan Barlin thing that I listened to didn't mention her at all. And I think she's so crucial and such a great character, particularly from this point of view, even in her minor supporting role. I think she does make a, a huge difference to the consolidation of Brian's power and also his ultimate unending. And it's very feudal history. You know, it's very Song of Ice and Fire, very Lord of the Rings. You can see where a lot of high and hard fantasy was inspired by these kind of political marriages and rivalries and how everyone was just that little bit related and how that was great for consolidating power. But that also meant that resentments just festered and grew and exploded once more. Of course, I couldn't go without talking about the Banshee. There are legends of the Battle of Clontarf where they do say that 
Valkyries and demons and pukas and banshees were seen on the battlefield, which does just help to paint this incredible image of the onslaught of this battle. Because they don't know exactly where it was fought. If anyone's actually been to Clontarf, it doesn't scream battlefield to you. It's a slightly more affluent area of the north side. Beautiful beach, you know. It's it's fine. I've I've no problem with Clontarf. I I was broken up with in Clontarf once. Uh, so I think I have a slight resentment for Clontarf because of that. But that's not anyone from Clontarf's fault. Uh, <laughs> as a slight side note there. If any hint of derision for Clontarf comes out in my voice or in my tone, it is because of that. So apologies out there to any Clontarf heads. But you will see you know, various murals throughout Clontarf for the battle, the Battle of Clontarf, but they don't know where exactly it was. And I think it was more, because there would have been so little, there would have been no suburbs, there was barely a Dublin, so there certainly wasn't really any suburbs. So they just have a kind of rough estimation that they just kind of, I think it's, I think it's, I need to come back to you on this, but I believe I did read that it became to be known as the Battle of Clontarf much later. You know, like I'd say, a lot of battles are, you know, you don't walk out into battle and say, this is the Battle of Bosworth Field. We're about to go on. You have a name for it after. Yeah, that would make sense. So I guess that's not that scandalous. But yes, I did read that fantastic thing that a banshee did. And that, again, was in a history novel, which I or a history book, which I do love that they just uh, that it has come to be a part of the legend, which again ties into how the Christian conversion had very much happened. Brian Baru was very much a Christian king, but yet you just couldn't shake that pagan belief. You just couldn't shake the pagan lore, which which still lived in tandem with the recent Christianity. And that carries right up to modern day. You know, you have, you have very religious people who still believe in the fairies and in the other folk, which does seem... Not counterintuitive, but, well, like, it is, they're countering beliefs, so it's very interesting seeing them live together. Likewise, with the Norse, which is when so many of these had become Christian by this point, we then have uh, them holding on to their pagan beliefs as well. Because now that we've completed the story of Brian Baru, I didn't quite want to leave the Norse god, the Norse lore completely, because we touched on the origins of the Norse, which was really fun to do. I wanted to do one more Norse myth, um, because I spoke about it briefly a couple of times, I think, where there was a story that I discovered a part of Norse mythology that then a few years later, I heard a story about Fionn McCool. And by the end of the story of hearing about Fionn McCool, I realized that they were the same story. And it was the perfect example of the two worlds mixing and matching. And I wondered, and I've been reading recently about the Norse story, that it uh, that it reflected how it was a later Norse story because of how the characters are portrayed, that it reads as a Norse myth- mythological story that was written after the conversion to Christianity, which I found very interesting. But we will get onto that. So that is to come in the next two weeks. We are actually going to have two different versions, very different versions of the same core story, which I toyed around with doing, you know, one or the other and maybe just giving a summary of one. 
but now I've uh, I've written both of them and I'm happy with very both of them because they are still very different and I think very reflective of the mythologies that they each represent and I'm very excited to share with them. So I'm going to wrap things up there now, folks. Just about at time. Um, I hope you enjoyed our last few weeks delving into the great Brian Baru. Uh, it's been fantastic to get to know more about him and it's been exciting to venture into a world of history as well as our mythology, which we have been dipping our toes into, particularly with the King Cycle, where we get more and more into real people who had mythological elements to them and whose legend has grown over time to the status of myth. So it's all, it's not as, you know, it's not as fragmented and it's not as separate as you would think or it's been made out to be. And it's an exciting journey we're on together and we've got plenty more to come. So hope you'll continue to join us by the fireside. So I'm going to wrap things up there, but please do follow me on Instagram at Fireside Bard. Please do subscribe to the Patreon, patreon.com forward slash Fireside Podcast. Your support has never been more appreciated if you are in a position to do so. Thank you so much to Alan and Paddy and Connor and everyone here at the Head Stuff. And... Uh, We'll see you all. You'll hear me all next time. And remember, wherever you are and wherever you go, you can always join me by the fireside. This podcast is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network.